during breast cancer care or any serious illness for that matter having the right team of doctors is crucial if your doctor is dismissive to your needs to have integrative care it can add much more stress than you are already experiencing all this and more on part 2 of this conversation on breast cancer and sleep if you missed part 1 of this conversation take a listen to episode 154 in today's podcast we will answer three questions how do you deal with the doctor who is dismissive and shows lack of respect what are herbs and supplements which can be used in integrative breast cancer treatment what are the supplements that should be stopped before chemotherapy and radiation my guest today was someone for whom i waited several months to get on the show simply because i felt she was the one person best suited to speak into this subject of breast cancer and sleep Carol Lori has over 3 decades of clinical experience as a naturopath, acupuncturist, homeopath and functional medicine expert. She believes that healing is always possible. She addresses not only the physical symptoms but also the emotional, mental and spiritual components that contribute to healing. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. You want to go in prepared and empowered and make sure that you, even though, yes, you, you have your oncologist, you want to make sure you're working with an oncologist who's not dismissive of how you want things done. I've had, I've heard things atrocious things of ways women have been spoken to and i've said i hope you fired that doctor immediately and they went uh, no i didn't know i could do that um you have to make, you're you know you're going to be doing intimate treatment with this doctor so you need to make sure that doctor is respectful if you want to bring in some integrative tools and the doctor says i don't want you taking any supplements and you say well actually there's research supporting this Um, you know, there's something called tamoxifen resistance and it happens a great deal within two years, 40% of women, their breast cancer cells develop resistance to tamoxifen. There are science-based supplements and herbs that have shown to reduce that from happening. 
So why shouldn't we use that to support the medical oncology treatment? You need to have a doctor who will listen and respect you because you're a team. Um, and if you don't like your doctor, you need to find another one. So it's rarely is a surgical emergency. You don't want just get this diagnosis. You're in a state of shock. And as a homeopath, that's, you know, a, a moment for the remedy aconite. And then the, tomorrow you're having a biopsy, which is not such a pleasant experience. Having been in the room with my friend, even with the local anesthesia, it's a bit traumatic. Um, you want to make sure you're prepared emotionally for that. And I don't know if it varies, Carol, but when my ma husband's mother had breast cancer and she had the surgery and she came to live with me and she had a bag attached to her for almost yes. a month. And uh, I know there was a lot of care involved to see that she didn't develop infection. So, I mean, when you said young kids, yes, I mean, the whole whole of life changes if you don't have the right support for such a situation. And perhaps there are women who don't have that kind of support. But since you did mention there are a lot of herbs and supplements, I thought before we jump into sleep, we could talk a little bit about that because I think it's also important to that anyone who needs this integrative care does reach out to someone who's qualified like yourself who can navigate their path between the oncologist and themselves and I think that's probably uh, the right approach because I have seen there are programs where um, those who have recovered from cancer themselves have programs to guide women through so would you say that there should be a practitioner involved in the process who can um, um, go through any potential challenges that you might specifically have? Well, first of all, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, you can gather information from Dr. Google, but understanding not just the science, but the um, creative aspect of when to do certain types of protocols. For example, when you're in the middle of chemotherapy, you need different supplements and different protocols than you do when you finish chemotherapy. And also there are certain supplements that you don't wanna be taking uh, before an infusion. So what I do, and most oncologists will say, absolutely no herbs, absolutely no supplements for all the time you're in chemo. Well, actually, chemo is a very specific day. So you can stop taking certain supplements three days before, have your chemo, and then not take supplements for two days after. So you are being respectful of chemotherapy and you're not interfering. And I don't know why that isn't you know used more often because you can build up your white cell and your red cell count. You can detoxify from the chemotherapy. You can support your liver and your intestines. You can intermittent fast prior to chemo. There's an enormous amount you can do. You don't wanna eat a steak tonight and go for chemo tomorrow and wonder why you're sick. Chemo, you have to prepare for chemo like you would any other major event. Um, post chemo, a woman is, you know, I've said that women have said this to me, you know, I know this sounds weird, but I felt like I was, I really liked going for radiation every day because I felt like I was doing something. And then I rang the bell and it all, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. It all disappeared. So um, 
what am I going to do now? They gave me this medication. They didn't tell me what to eat or they did send me to the nutritionist. It was a joke. And I'm having all these side effects and I feel lost and hopeless. So there, it's very difficult to navigate this on your own. And there's something as a homeopath, uh, there's some miasmatic and that's a homeopathic word. It means diseases have certain energies. Why is it that women with breast cancer think they should do this themselves? So do we think we should fix our car ourselves, or fix our own teeth with not go to the dentist or, you know, whatever we ask for help when we need it. But why do we think that we should be able to look on Dr. Google and then create these complex protocols and know which supplements to buy that are real and not a waste of money? Why do we think we should do this ourselves? So that's part of the breast cancer energy. Women have a hard time asking for help. Women come to me, they've spent hundreds of dollars on supplements and I go through them and probably 90% of what they bought was a waste of money because supplements should be made to pharmaceutical quality standards, which means they should be third party tested, which means they should be made in a facility, which is like how you make drugs. It's sterile. They have uh, security, all of this. And the supplements that I recommend, if I would look on the bottle, it has a tag on it, I could call up the company and say, can you give me the third party testing? And they would be able to give me every single product that's in the bottle. So it's very easy. Oh yeah, I bought this supplement online. I, I got this from the, the health food store or from the pharmacy, which is, or Trader Joe's. It's a waste of money. And you have a serious metabolic disease and you want to make sure you're getting real products that will address at the time when you need it. So did I get off track? I might have gotten off track a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, but I think it was important, Carol. And I'd just like to bring you back to asking about, you mentioned some supplements which we should be stopping yes. before chemotherapy. So I'd love for us to talk about that because sometimes we do tend to self-prescribe from Dr. Google. And I think it's important we raise awareness on what are these supplements that we should be cautious about removing before we go into chemotherapy. And um, I think uh, you also said something else and now I've lost track, but let's okay. come back to so that. Let me address that first. Um, so I'm unique, which is, I think it's fine to take supplements, but I'm also extremely respectful of chemotherapy and radiation. Radiation, there's certain supplements you absolutely do not want to take, one of them being uh, any form of vitamin E. You do not want to take any form of vitamin E during radiation, um, but you can take it afterwards. And the number one anti-vitamin uh, E product that I recommend is the natotocotrienols. Um, but that has to be a very specific form and you have to make sure that you're getting the real product. During chemotherapy, uh, I do a lot of Chinese herbs and botanical medicines in combination. There's a company called Natura Formulations, which is um, researched and made by the person who taught me everything I know about how to work with cancer. His name is Donnie Yance, and he is the founder of the Madiri Foundation, the Madiri Academy in Ashland, Oregon. The man is a genius as far as understanding not just um, the botanical approach towards illness and disease and cancer, but also everything about medical oncology. He has an eidetic memory, and it's a wonderful 
a thing to be connected and associated with him. So I use a lot of his products or combination of herbs, but I'll just take a very simple product, which is curcumin or turmeric. Everyone knows that. Uh, there's an enormous amount of research in PubMed about how it is beneficial for cancer. It's an antioxidant. It gets the cancer cells. One of the problems with cancer cells is they stop paying attention to the rules of stop and go. And they think that they can call over to the neighbors and say, hey, come join me. I'm not going to stop this stop sign. I'm going to continue to grow. And we, part of our role is to get the cancer cells back in line and start behaving. So curcumin is one of the, um, the from nature, it's a beautiful plant. It's 4,000 years old. We use the rhizome or the root and I have this perspective, which is if something has been around for a couple of thousand of years, I tend to pay attention and I think there is validity to that, whether it's in PubMed or not. I mean, there's, it's existed for 4,000 years, it has to be valid. So I recommend curcumin a lot, but I stop that three days before uh, chemotherapy because I don't want any specific antioxidants to interfere when you're taking certain chemotoxic drugs, you want them to be able to get in there and um, address the aberrant or the cancer cells. And But I also wanna support the body. So I'm going to give the person lots of pro and prebiotics, some of which can become from food, like a teaspoon or two of fermented sauerkraut has a lot of prebiotics. Probiotics support the gut that will not interfere with your chemotherapy drugs. There are one of the side effects of chemotherapy drugs can be uh, neuropathy. I give a B6, which does not interfere with chemotherapy. So you, you wanna prepare. And I had mentioned before intermittent fasting, you, you want to intermittent fast if you can. If you're on the low weight side, you don't wanna intermittent fast. You have to make sure you're doing it under the, um, guidance of an experienced practitioner. And I had mentioned about radiation. Radiation, there are, the doctors say, absolutely no drugs, uh, absolutely no supplements. That's unfortunate because there is research, for example, red rice, red rice yeast is really good to prevent some of the oxidative stress from radiation. Radiation creates an enormous amount of oxidative stress it also, and the, unfortunately, radiologists doesn't talk about this. It can create a more aggressive cancer in the opposite breast. So it's not just about, yes, you're going to have fatigue and we want to address that. And yes, maybe your skin's going to get red and burned and we can address that with specific herbal products and homeopathic remedy of cantharis, which is really great for that. And as far as fatigue is concerned, you want to make sure that you're doing some movement every day and acupuncture. I'm an acupuncturist is wonderful for the fatigue, but you want to stay away from vitamin E during radiation because it's a very specific antioxidant and it is not indicated during radiation. And I just thought of yoga, Carol, when you spoke about fatigue and what can we do because yoga can be so gentle when you have fatigue and you can get so much energy from gentle yogic practices. So my yes. mind popped to that as well. But I do want us to talk about two key things before we uh, come to the end of this episode, which is uh, the first is that you spoke about quality of life, hormones, and I just want to talk a little bit about detoxification. So is there something that 
women can um, support detoxification in order to manage all of it, whether it's chemotherapy or whether it's hormone replacement. Um, what can women do? And is it important that we support detoxification? Well, there's different forms of detoxification. There is how your liver detoxifies drugs, and that's phase one and phase two detox. And we definitely want to be able to support that in your body. And you can do that with something like berberine, which is an herb, which has also been around for thousands of years. And you can also do that with something called the castor oil pack, which has also been around um, for hundreds of years. So you can, that's a top level of detoxification. You wanna make sure you're not constipated and the health of your gut is very important. So some women, some of the side effects of chemotherapy are horrible diarrhea. If that's happening, you need to talk to your doctor about that, but you always want to make sure you're eliminating and not constipated and you wanna be taking pre and probiotics that's never going to interfere with any of your medical oncology treatments. Then there's a deeper level of detoxification, which I studied with somebody who's an expert in that, in which you take enemas and you, you, know, you use certain herbs and you're doing fasting and you're doing juicing. And you really need to be doing that at the right time of your treatment. You don't want to detox like that in the middle of chemo or even in the middle of radiation. You don't want to do that, in my opinion, in the winter when it's freezing out because you're drinking these juices. You don't, you have to, and you have to really do it under expert guidance because some people can get sick and you need to know if it's sick from a detox or if it's sick as it's too much. And you have to be with somebody who's had quite a bit of experience with that. And then there are people who feel like you should never take an enema, that you don't want to take an enema, that you want to use these herbs just to rebuild and repair and replenish. So it just depends on what you need as an individual and which practitioner you're working with. But I would absolutely not do any of that more, for lack of a better word, aggressive detox in the middle of chemo, surgery, or radiation, that, that's not indicated. You have to be in the right metabolic place, but in the right emotional place too. You can't do it if you're horribly stressed. Oh, I'll just detox on the weekend and then I'm gonna go back to work. No, it doesn't work like that. Carol, let's come to sleep. So what have you typically seen in the population that you work with in terms of sleep, how quality of sleep, um, when they start treatment itself, where does where do you typically see it fall off track, and uh, how important is sleep in treatment? Um, how effective treatment is, and uh, what can women do to help themselves to restore quality of sleep in spite of treatment and anything that they might be struggling with. Most Americans, especially women, are sleep deprived. That's because, and this is true for women with and without breast cancer, but part of the breast cancer miasm, and remember it's cancer cells out of control, is this sensation or feeling of rush, 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 do, 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 I have to do this, I have to do that. And therefore they're staying up too late and not getting enough rest. Or there's signs of depression where they're watching the news or on the computer doing social media, 
until midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And then they go to bed and they have to get up at six or seven and that's not enough rest. So there is a place where you need to really understand that you have to get hold of yourself and get out of these difficult, negative, unhealthy habits and make sure that you're getting enough rest. That's number one. Number two, what's the status of your bedroom? If there is the TV in there and the and your cell phone is right next to your bed, as is the computer, there's too much EMFs energy in there and it's interfering with your sleep. So we need to have a deep dive into the cleanliness and the hygienicness and the low, no EMFs in your bedroom. How are you managing that? Um, are you respecting your body by getting enough sleep? Now, I'm not talking about you have an infant or young children. I'm just talking about older women who are not being woken by when you're raising your kids. That's a different story. But I'm a big proponent of naps. So if you're a young mom and you have, you know, nursing children or they're not nursing, but they're waking up in the middle of the night and they take a nap and you're at home. So no, there is this tendency, no matter you know, if they're asleep, you're going to continue to work. I'm a big believer that whatever it is in the house, the laundry, the dishes in the sink, the beds, whatever, it will wait. You need to sleep. So, and there is a message in America that it's the women's responsibility to keep the house clean. And I don't think it's our responsibility. I think it's the responsibility of the family, you, you're, you and your partner. And if you have even little kids, they can do a little bit or the teenagers, everybody needs to work together as a unit to do everything that needs to take to be done to keep the household running smoothly. It's not your job. You don't need to sacrifice your sleep to clean up the kitchen before you go to bed. Everybody should have and needs to have pitched in after the meal was over. So it's a matter of self-care and self-respect. And it's a big shift for women to think, you know, I'm worth it. I'm going to put myself first and to make it a commitment to get eight hours of sleep. That's a big deal for a lot of women. So if you're in the middle of treatment, you, there are times when you're not going to be feeling well and sleep is restorative. Your cells heal, your cells detoxify when you're sleeping. Your psyche processes trauma when you're sleeping. So sleeping is not a waste of time. It's not a wasteful activity. It's really beneficial in the long run. So if, especially, you know, after surgery, there's this tendency to think, oh, I'm not going to sleep. You need to sleep after surgery. If you've had a mastectomy like your mother-in-law had, you need to heal your body. And it takes a long time to get over a major surgery of losing your breasts. Um, and the doctors tend to not understand what happens on the other side because there's a lot of emotional feelings that come up with that. And they're just looking at it from the surgical standpoint. Oh, the surgery went really well. You're going to be fine. Uh, it's not such a simple, I'm going to be fine moment. Are you going to choose to do reconstruction or not? Uh, if you are going to choose to do reconstruction, do you need expanders right away? What What's the process going to be? Are you going to make sure that you're having the right implant put in so you don't develop a leakage and then cancer or an autoimmune illness from that? If I don't want to do reconstruction now, I'm going to, am I going to be able to have that opportunity later? There's, you know, it's a lot of conversation to have and you need to sleep during that. And your partner or your family may not understand it, especially 
I get this a lot. I finished treatment. Immediately, everybody thinks I should go back to normal. Well, I'm, I'm not normal. I don't feel normal. It wasn't, I'm, I'm a different person than the way it was before. I need to sleep more. My energy isn't as strong as it was. I can't run around like a chicken doing 15 things in a day. Respect yourself and educate people. You know, I'm not the same person I was eight months or 18 months ago. I don't have that energy anymore. Even though you think I'm done, I'm still in recovery. I need time. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And Carol, it took me back to a very dear friend of mine and her sister would come and stay with her when I used to go and teach her yoga. And this was several years ago. And um, her sister had um, her father-in-law, husband and two sons at home. She was the only woman. And Somehow she would stay up every single night till midnight. And when I would ask her, but why do you need to do that? And she said, no, I need to wash all the dishes. I need to see that everyone's ready for the next day. And we'd have, a, we'd have jokes around that. And I would say that, why can't others do? And she said, no, no, I mean, I don't. So my friend used to say, no, she doesn't like to ask for help. And that was what you were describing as well. She took it on herself. And fast forward several years later, and my friend called me up one day to say that my sister's been diagnosed with cancer. And um, she had ovarian cancer. And she messaged me three weeks after that to say my sister passed away. Oh. And it was so shocking to me because her sister was so young and I just felt that there I felt that there was something deeply connected to staying up till midnight and she'd wake up at 4 or 5 a.m the very next day to get back into this rat race of getting things ready for everybody and this went on for several decades and I personally did not think that anybody could get through that kind of a schedule. It was uh, traumatic for me just to hear about that. Well, that's part of the Indian culture, which is changing uh, as we get older. But, you know, there is part of the culture and that's the way it is that the women are waiting on the men and that is changing as women become more modernized. But there is, you know, a big deal with that. And there are other cultures in the world that have that. And women are changing gradually and working on changing that in their own families. But unfortunately, that is certain, you know, cultural realities for women. And um, I don't think she had much of a choice because that is what was expected in her culture. And now we have it. I mean, that's what happened. And unfortunately, with ovarian cancer, it's not discovered early enough. Um, it's a very subtle illness. And by the time it is discovered, and usually what happens, a woman who has not no longer having her periods, her abdomen will either blow up or she'll start bleeding. And she goes to the doctor and then it's, it's too late, it's spread. So um, that's unfortunately the case very often with ovarian cancer. It's a more difficult cancer to treat especially if it's not caught early. And you were also talking about, Carol, the mindset that doctors don't relate to in terms of is a woman going to have reconstructive surgery after uh, a mastectomy. And 
you were saying conversations and I was thinking about there are so many women who probably don't have space to have that honest, vulnerable conversation, maybe even to their partner. And I can relate to so many women thinking in terms of what is this going to change in terms of how my partner looks at me. And these are subtle conversations that we don't really bring highlight to in many, many cultures. And probably this is just a source of trauma within a woman herself. And I know that we've had a long conversation and I just want to give you enough time to wrap this up by sharing some of your final takeaways for where you feel guidance should begin for women undergoing treatment for breast cancer. Well, I'm happy to do that, but I just want to address what you just brought up, which is um, recovering intimacy after breast cancer. And it's such an important topic that I did a mini summit uh, with that. And I brought in some experts, psychologists, a sexologist, an intimacy expert, and myself. It is a very important topic that nobody is talking about. And there's a couple things I want to share. Uh, women, whether you're with a man or a woman, don't assume that your partner knows how to talk to you about this because they're very concerned that they might say the wrong thing and you'll get, and they don't want to upset you. So communication is the key. And you then have your own feelings about how your body has changed. Maybe you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you don't want your partner to see your chest after surgery. Um, so there needs to be a conversation about what your needs are now and how you've changed. When you're put on hormonal blocking therapies, your sex drive changes, your ability to have do certain um, components of sexual intimacy change. And it's a very difficult to navigate that through yourself. So I think that, you know, seeking a couple therapy or professional, I have a whole section on my online program about this where I recorded the program and that's one of the bonuses women get. Recovering intimacy after breast cancer is a really important topic. Um, so to wrap up, uh, breast cancer is a journey that no woman volunteers for. We can't control what is plopped down on our, the path of our life. We all have experiences that, oh, I didn't volunteer for this. I don't want that to happen. Or heck, how did this happen to me? But how we approach what is there makes a huge difference about whether we're a victim to this disease and we're stuck in anger and victimhood, or we're going to make sure that whatever it is, I'm going to be as healthy as possible through treatment and I'm going to reduce my risk of recurrence. And your whole life needs to change. When you have any serious diagnosis of any type of cancer, it's a wake up call. And it's not just cancer, if it's infertility or horrible insomnia, migraine headaches, colitis, autoimmune illness, it's a wake up call that the life that you've created for yourself, something is out of balance and something is off. And how do we discover what that is and then how do we help bring you back into balance? The number one thing you can do uh, to keep your breast cancer or any cancer from coming back is to be as healthy as possible, is to be as in, bal in balance as possible, not out of balance, but in balance as possible in your life. And to think that you can do that by yourself is an unfortunate thought process. Everyone needs help. We need more community 
uh, in our lives and in our world. Beautiful, Dr. Laurie. And where can people find you? Do you work with people all over the world if they need support through this area between oncology and themselves? Yes. Um, first of all, I have a live group online coaching program, but um, that's called empoweredagainstrecurrence.com. But really the way to reach me and to get on my email list is through my carollaurie.com. That's my name is Carol, C-A-R-O-L. And my last name is spelled L-O-U-R-I-E.com. And at the top right corner of my page, there's a contact me form. And I respond to everybody's email that I get. Send me an email and I will automatically get your email and I will respond and we'll be in touch. It was an absolute pleasure having you, Carol. Thank you for your time and it was so worth the wait for me. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. On today's episode, Carol Lurie took us through so many nuances of breast cancer, including mindset, where to begin, the intersection between what we do in our life and our hormones, which then interplay with breast cancer. This is a two-part episode. I hope you listen to both parts of this conversation. If you know anyone who has been through breast cancer or is presently going through treatment, do share the episodes with them. Remember to follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you get each episode drops straight into your reminder list. Have a great day. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition, be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health condition. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.